Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, mm. It's cool to see my spiritual dad and then my dad right behind him in worship. That's cool. I like that. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. So, yeah, my fam- family's here, wife in the back, baby, and my mom's back there as well. So it's really cool to have then my extended family support it. So he's taking a picture. So, <laughs> you know, everyone's like tries to, it's like right at a really spiritual moment they take a picture. I'm like, so. But I want to talk about grace uh, today. You can't exhaust the subject in my opinion, so why not? Uh, but I'm going to be pulling from a portion of scripture that I'm probably sure that not a lot of people have dove into. So it's going to be fun. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be reading out of Titus. And I'm a teacher um, in gift. I, I'm, I'm a teacher. That means that we may move around a little bit, but we're going to really dig in. We're, gonna, we're, we're only going to go from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. That's it. That's it. Okay? Um, but I want to dig and I want to go in. That, and I remember one, someone that came and taught one time said, I, I'm anointed as a teacher. I am like, you know, in the house, like Zach said, you know, he considers me a teacher. And so I, I walk in that. I carry that. And that means you need to be anointed not to learn to not learn today. Like you have to really try not to learn what I'm talking about because I'm anointed as a teacher. So if you honor me as a teacher, you'll get it. Just saying. Same thing happens with any other gift, okay? If you honor someone as an apostle, then you will receive the apostle's gift, the prophet. You honor someone as a prophet, and you receive them, you're actually able to then receive from them in fullness. So there you go. That was free. Nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Okay, so let's jump in. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll dive in. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. I'm reading out of the NASB, the New American Standard. Uh, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. God, put your fire on this word today. Put your fire in our hearts today and allow uh, even your fire to burn out of me right now, O God. Jesus, I I, uh, call forth the gift that's inside of me. I stand up in it, God, in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I stand on your truth tonight. We, we, today we want to uh, affirm our ground, take down our walls, and step outside and take the roofs off of what we think we know so that we can get to know you more, God. That is our goal. You are our expectation, Jesus. We love you. Release your wisdom. Release your joy. Release your grace. Amen. All right. All right. So, right off the bat, okay, Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Now, we need to understand there's a difference between grace and mercy, all right? Mercy is the substance that flows from Jesus at the cross, okay? It has to do with forgiveness, atonement. This is what was poured out, okay, for us on the cross. It is the substance of Jesus that was manifested and poured out on the earth from the cross. 
Now, grace is the substance of Jesus that poured out of him from the resurrection. Okay? And so this has to do with not atonement and uh, forgiveness, but it actually is empowerment and equips us to reign in life. That's the mandate of God over his people, is that we would reign in life. Not just stand in front of the cross and go, forgive me, God, let us be at one. That, there's a place for that and a time for that. But then we go from there, we go, God, there's an empty tomb. Then we go, you've, ra- you've raised up. You're alive. You're sitting at the right hand of the Father. And what's great, and God's goal for us, is to identify with him in every part. In his ministry, in his tribulation, his passion, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and his session at the uh, right hand of the Father. We are with God at every point. We are with Jesus at every point in that. And that is the goal. That is the full gospel. Okay? And so that is always our goal. Uh, Forgiveness was not the main goal of Jesus. And a lot of people, like the religious spirit, when I wrote that down, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I can feel it. The religion, what do you mean forgiveness wasn't the main goal of Jesus? It wasn't. For his people to reign in life was the main goal. Forgiveness is a part of that. Absolutely. And we start there. But we grow from there. That's where we grow from. It's forgiveness at oneness. I am right with God and now I can walk like it. That's the main goal. That is what we look for. It's not just to stand and to be forgiven. It's like Martin Luther. He was obsessed. He had a religious spirit on him for a while. Because he was obsessed. He was a Catholic uh, uh, monk. And he, <laughs> he would exhaust the other uh, the, the fathers. Because he would sit there six hours confessing. I did this, I did this, I did this. I mean, six hours, man. You got to be creative. Man. And they, they said, they're like, Martin, just the big stuff, please. No lie. So, I mean, he, he was thwarted in that. If it takes us six hours to confess, I mean, come on, get some grace, rise up. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's go. <laughs> so, the definitions of things are going to be really big today. We're going to tear down some definitions of some, some words, Okay. Um, and then really go after the truth of, of some stuff. So the full gospel, if we're not walking out in the full gospel, it's like watching the sixth sense without looking at the end. Have you, have you guys ever, who's seen the sixth sense? Okay, who hasn't seen the sixth sense? I'm going to ruin the movie for you. Spoiler alert, okay? So we've got Bruce Willis, and he is going throughout the movie, and he's like a detective cop type guy. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, so if I miss a detail, don't. You know, stone me or anything. Um, and so he's going throughout the movie, meets this little boy, and this little boy has some issues, okay? Um, I forget his name, the little creepy kid with the blue eyes. <laughs> Seriously, when he came out, it, he was like, dude, that kid is so creepy with the blue eyes. Um, but he, you know, there's that famous line, I see dead people. Like, right? There's that famous line, what is the problem? I see dead people. And so he sees, you know, all these dead people. He tells Bruce Willis about it and all this stuff. And then at the end... He's trying to figure out what's going on with this boy, trying to figure out all this stuff. And then at the end, we realize Bruce Willis is dead. 
himself, and that's why the boy can see him. You did? Oh, did you when you were watching it? I didn't. I, I myself didn't see it coming. But then, can who, let me ask this question. Whoever has seen The Sixth Sense, who's watched it again? It changes everything, right? It like, you know it. So it's like, why, do I, why am I even going to watch it? Because I know it changes everything. And so if we aren't living out the full gospel, it's like watching The Sixth Sense and then turning it off at the end. Because the end changes everything. And so we know the end. And so we need to realize that it's not a flat, you know, when we read the Bible, it's not a flat book. You know, it's not flat. It does, it's not, oh, well, this verse in Leviticus is just as powerful as this, you know, one in Romans. No. Sorry. It's not true. Because there are people, Christians, with tattoos. But it says in Leviticus. There are people that we, I cut my hair. I shaved two days ago. I'm just saying. I should be stoned. Okay? Like, if my son, when he gets older, if he decides to, like, kind of stand up against me or whatever and, like, argue with me, in Leviticus, I get to go out and beat him in the back. I get to stone him. I'm not going to do that. Because it's not a flat book. We have to read it through the lens of Jesus. Okay. Definitions. Everything. Moving forward. Okay? I'm going to talk about Grace doing two, three things. Two things today. <laughs> three things. I got cross-eyed for a second. Um, we're going to talk about Grace establishing our floor, our foundation, removing our walls, and removing our roof, our ceiling. Okay? And so that's what Grace does. And our definitions of things is a big part of that. Okay? And so we stand on the floor. Okay? Grace establishes our foundation. Let's go at this. All right? So, grace has appeared. This new redefined, new definition of grace has established itself in our hearts, okay? And realizing that grace and mercy are separate actually calls us to see them differently and approach them differently and receive from them appropriately, okay? So, if I know that mercy and grace are different, I'm not going to come to both of them in the same situation. Okay, it's like I, I equate it to, like, parents. Kids expect certain things from different parents, right? Okay, my son, I'm the playground. My wife is a cafeteria. Okay, like, that's just, at the, at the age that he's at, that's what's going on, okay? And so, <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so, he understands that if he came to me for food, he would be poorly disappointed. And I'm not saying that she's not fun, but, like, I throw him in the air and I, like, you know, run around with him and stuff. And so he understands that that is my role. And I think, just like how in, around the world, if you have a person that grows up without a father, there's a dysfunction. Or if you, you have mothers trying to be fathers and fathers trying to be mothers and, you know what I mean, trying to play all these roles and there's dysfunction. In the same way, the church has gone after mercy when they should be going after grace, and they wonder why there's dysfunction. Because they didn't go to the right substance of Jesus, okay? They didn't, they didn't approach the right substance of Jesus at the right time and receive what they should. 
And so they're looking for empowerment, and they're not going to grace. They're going to mercy, but they don't realize that mercy brings you to the cross, not the empty tomb. So we have to realize that our definitions of things will change everything because then we realize that we can approach Jesus, the substance of Jesus, appropriately and receive what we need to receive, okay? Um, And so that brings me to, again, the second half of Titus verse uh, 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Bringing salvation to all men. Now that we've redefined grace, let's, re- let's redefine salvation. Okay? Bringing salvation to all men. That's the word, comes from the word sozo. Saved, healed, delivered. Okay? Completeness. And so, uh, this is another operation of Jesus that uh, has been misdefined. And in turn, we've cheated ourselves on a complete wineskin. Okay? And we haven't functioned in the real role of salvation. There's been dysfunction in this concept. So um, sometimes people look at salvation as I'm going to heaven. I'm saved so I can relax, be raptured, and there we go. That's what I'm going to do. When in reality, um, we are to reign in life as healed, freed, empowered people. This is salvation. To operate in our lives and reign in life as saved, freed, delivered, empowered people. Um, and it's, when we carry out these definitions of things, it's like building walls at the expense of the floor. You know what I'm saying? It's like, sure, your theology will have high ceilings, but you've got no floor. You've got beautiful wallpaper, but you can't enter the room. Okay? And so, if it were a house, oh, look at, the, look at the high ceilings. Wow, but I'm standing on dirt. Okay? And so that's the picture that I want to paint for us this morning. Um, so then we'll move on. Okay? Uh, Titus chapter 2, or yeah, chapter 2, verse 12, right at the beginning. Remember, I'm going piece by piece. I'm a line upon line, precept upon precept kind of guy. So, um, so what does grace do? It instructs us. Okay, Uh, grace brings us to that solid foundation that we are sons and daughters. Okay, adoption, the spirit of adoption. Now, the word instruct is the word in Greek that implies um, to, yeah, let me just read it straight off. It implies teaching a small child with their potential in mind that they might mature. Okay, it implies that there is potential that is seen. Thus, the effort is carried out to see them mature. That's instructing. What's interesting is grace always sees potential. Grace will always see potential. That's what allows us to rise up. If grace is just released without potential being revealed, then why rise up? That's mercy. Grace is given just because it's asked for. Grace is given, but uh, um, mercy is given, forgiveness is given. But grace is the thing that goes, look at, look at this inside of you. This is what I'm giving you this for. This is who you are. This is what you're made to do. Rise up and go. And so what's great is I, I love grace because we were talking with a guy 
um, on Friday. And he was talking about some issues that he was having. Um, and it was amazing because he was saying, oh, I ha- I'm having these issues, you know, mentally. I mean, you know, hearing voices or things like that. And we were going, man, you got to be more aware of God than you are of the enemy. And he was saying, you know, just kind of thinking about that. And we said, don't you know that there are angels around you? There are angels with you. Okay? And we're like, if there was an angel with you, okay, where would he be right now? And he was like, looking at us kind of funny. We're like, just trust God to speak to you and reveal, open your spiritual eyes to see. And he goes, "Uh, above me with a sword in his hand. And we're like, okay, awesome. Now, get in touch with that reality and not the one that I hear voices. And now you know how to pray. Because you can now say, God, dispatch the angel that you've placed over me. Allow his sword to fight against the enemy for me. So he identified with the reality that grace revealed to him instead of what he felt like he was in at the moment. So grace allows us to identify with the real heaven reality and respond to it instead of what we might be in at the moment right now. So do that today. No matter where you're at, go, God, what are you wanting to show me? Release grace over me that I might identify with the heavenly reality that you've released over me and pray accordingly. Okay? Cool. (laughs) Thank you. Ew. Um, grace can, but we got to realize too, that not only is grace received from heaven, but grace is given from one another. I, I can give grace to Zach. Zach can give grace to me. Okay? Just like, you know, disgrace. We can do that to one another. We can disgrace one another. We can remove grace from one another. So what's interesting though, I'm going to get a sip here. Maybe that's why I'm talking so fast. Didn't have my cup this morning, so. Grace cannot be given or received in judgment. How many times, okay? I'm guilty of this. Until I taught this, I was guilty. I was like, oh man, I'll teach it myself. How many times have you said, this person needs a little more grace? I just need to give this person a little bit more grace. Okay, like, let's be, let's be real. Alright. Is that Coldplay? Oh, it sounds like Coldplay. That's cool. I like Coldplay. I'm not, I'm not mad. <laughs> okay, so um, where was I? Grace cannot be given in judgment. Okay. <laughs> when we go, oh, that person needs a little bit more grace. Oh, just give them grace. Just give them grace. Just give them grace. We got to realize that check your heart when you say that. Just saying, check your heart. Because a lot of times, that is given out of pity, condemnation, apathy, annoyance, anger, or disapproval. So if that's the source, you're not giving them grace because grace sees potential. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> grace cannot be given in judgment. If you're saying that, it's usually, the source of it is pity, condemnation, apathy, you don't care anymore, annoyance, anger, or disapproval. So if that's the source of you saying that, don't say it. Give them mercy and move on. Mercy, you don't need to see potential. I just gave you a secret. Now you're going to be like, give them mercy. Give them mercy. I just, 
I just say, Lord, have mercy, right? But really, so if you're going to give somebody grace, be careful because you've got to find potential. You've got to work a little bit harder. But that's maturing in love. That's becoming one body. It's not going, I forgive you. I, in my heart, I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to make my heart like the mercy seat and forgive you and then move on. Because mercy, I don't know. You guys get the idea. Grace, we've got to mature in love to give somebody grace. Okay? We can just give somebody grace or uh, mercy and move on. So there you go. Take that. If you get nothing else, give somebody grace. Find potential in them. And then say grace. And then give them grace so that there's substance to it. There's power to it. When grace is given to me from God, I rise up. If you give somebody grace and they don't rise up, you didn't give them grace. Okay. All right. So... We get the floor, right? We're standing on our floor now. Grace, salvation. Now let's tear down some walls. Our renewed definition of grace removes the expectations on almost anything. With the definition comes an expectation. Okay? Expectation is good. Expectations can hurt us. Because an expectation... Like, when you put an expectation on someone or something, you're actually defining it before it happens. And we just talked about how dangerous these definitions can be if, we, if they're not looked at, examined, and carried out appropriately. And so, if you have an expectation on something or someone, you're actually doing the same danger than you did by, re, by you know, falsely defining something. Because you're just defining it before it happens. Am I making sense with that? Okay, because it got kind of quiet, and I get like the look. So, <laughs> and it, I want to tell a story. It was funny. When I was first coming to encounter and, and getting connected with Zach, it's a new, it's a different thing, okay? Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's a new animal, okay? Um, and I, I had a little bit of a religious spirit, you know, um, I was just struggling and dealing with stuff inside and, um, you know, pulled in different directions. And one day I got off work, and it was real late, probably like 10, 10.30, something like that. And I text Zach, and I was like, hey, man, um, I'm going through it, you know, and, and I just need, I need something. Uh, I, need, I need help. And so he said, dude, come over. It was about 20 minutes away. So I go, and I'm like, I have expectations, all right? I'm like, all right, I'm going through it, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like pour my heart out to him, and then he's going to lay hands on me, he's going to pray for me, I'm going to feel better. That was my expectation. In that, you know, way of thinking, I was let down, not going to lie. Because I go over there, and they're hanging out and stuff, and Milo's there, and if you know Milo, he's, he's funny. And so... They were telling jokes all night. Pillow fight, okay? Like they were throwing pillows at one another. And I'm like waiting for my opportunity to go, Zach, can we, can we like talk? I'm like waiting, but I don't want to be rude and stuff. And so I'm just sitting there kind of like in my self going, what is going on? Uh, this isn't meeting my expectations. This isn't holy. This isn't spiritual. What's going on? 
I need something spiritual right now. But little did I know that that was exactly what I needed. I drove away from that, and, I, you know, I was, I was thinking, I still had this struggle, because I was like, that wasn't really spiritual. That was just weird. That was just, you know, fun. fun. What is that, you know? What is this? What's happening to me? And so expectations can really be something that allow us to, to miss out on something great. We can miss out on something great if we, if we define it before it happens. So let God define it as it happens. Um, and with that, let's go to the, the next verse here. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, okay? Um, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We have one expectation, Jesus. That's our expectation. Expectation is great. Expectations, not so much. Expectation, we have one of them. As a body, we have one expectation. It's Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus coming and revealing himself to us. That's our expectation. I'm not going to define anything. I'm not going to have expectation. That's why he said, your kingdom come, your will be done in that order. Your kingdom come and nobody's will on it but yours. I'm not going to wrap your kingdom coming in my expectations and in my agendas. I'm actually going to let your kingdom come and your heart be released over me so that I actually appropriate your kingdom coming in my heart rightly. Pretty simple concept there. Uh, So let's move on uh, to 14, verse 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us. So we're talking about our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. All right? So check this out. We're going to tear down a really big wall right now. Lawless deeds. When I say lawless deeds, I can feel... The religious spirit that like wants to define things and go this this lawless deed this sin this thing this you know even in my own mind I go what is a lawless deed it's you know whatever you know I can't really think of them now because I've been healed of that religious spirit <laughs> just kidding but kind of um, but that word in the Greek is anomia okay anomia is the word lawless now what's interesting. And this was really cool when I found it. I was happy about this. This made me happy and chuckle. Is the word anomia in English is actually a mental disorder. Okay? And what if, if you ever had something where you're telling a story and then you can't think of a word. It just can't come to you. It's right on the tip of your tongue, but you can't think of it. Whether it's a name or a, a, a title of something, you're like, oh, it's right there. I just can't think of it. That's anomia. Okay, so let this sink in, all right? Could lawless deeds, he's not talking about deeds, he's talking about the lawlessness of the deed. Could the root of a lawless deed actually be our inability to remind ourselves of who we are and recall whose we are? When we're doing something, it's like, who, who am I? Who am I? 
And then it's our, actually, our inability to remember who we are and act in that, that he says, deny. It's almost like he's saying, never forget God. Never forget who you are. It's not about a lawlet like a sin, like, you know what I mean? Because the root of sin is just our inability to remember who we are. That was a really good word, John. Thanks. I really appreciate it. No, don't worry about it. I brought my own encouragement today. Chris Valentin said that one time. It was funny. I loved it when he said that. That was. I mean, think about it. God had Israel say, he, I mean, so many times he said, remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we needed, we had a brain dysfunction. The people of God had a mental disorder. They couldn't remember. They couldn't recall whose they were. Not just as sons and daughters, but as the bride. They couldn't remember who they, whose they were. You know? And that's why Jesus' prayer, Our Father, was so powerful. The model prayer, because it healed the people of God, our minds. When we pray it, it heals our minds. It reminds us whose we are. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. It reminds us whose we are. And so it heals our minds. allows us to uh, realize that we're sons and daughters. And allows us to host the presence of God. Because our minds are healed. The walls are down. The expectations are down. The definitions are gone. You're our expectation, God. And so... With that, too, comes another wall that needs to be torn down, okay? Deeds, all right? Where it says, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So now that we've defined lawless deeds, okay, let's define good deeds. Another word that's dripping with religiousness. Are good deeds like feeding the poor, praying for someone, ministering to someone, a mission trip, or this and that? Like, are those spiritual? Are those good deeds? If those are good deeds, then what does make work? What is work? What is me providing for my family? What is me having dinner with a brother? Are those not? So if we presuppose that good deeds are these certain things, then we actually, by carrying that out, and believing it in our minds, we say the other things we do are not. So it builds a wall. See, it separates the spiritual things from the non-spiritual things. Take it down. Simply defining it from the Greek. Good. It's good. Something that God smiles on. And work, deeds, is work. It literally says something that you may be paid to do. Okay? So me providing for my family, God smiles on me as I go to work. Okay? Who has a job? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Who likes their job? I'm not going to say that. (laughs) I like my job too. But I'm just saying, sometimes we go to work and it's like, oh, back to the 
fall of man. You'll work with the sweat of your brow. It's like, no, no. Paul worked. He was a tent builder, tent maker. And Bill Johnson talked about this a couple weeks ago, and it was amazing. Remember how they, in Acts they said that Paul, they would take his, his uh, rags, his you know, cloth, he would take cloths and put them on the sick or the demon-possessed and they would be freed, right? They'd be healed. For some reason, we think that it was, <laughs> that these claws were like the prayer shawls of Paul that just draped over him as he worshipped God, you know, or something that he blessed and he just, you know. What if these claws were actually Paul's sweat rags as he built tents? I mean, let's be real. Those were probably the most common claws that he had, were the ones that he wrapped around his head as he preached. Or, I mean, as he worked, I'm sorry. And these were the things that God used to do supernatural things and release the kingdom of God. So imagine if your work is actually releasing the kingdom of God. Take down the wall that says, this is spiritual, this is not. Providing for your family, God is smiling over you and allowing you to release heaven in your workplace. If you go to work after church, flip it. You're going from church to work. Think, I mean, really, let's flip it for a second. Let's take the walls down and say, this is no more spiritual than this. So the only, I love, I can't remember who said it, but he said, if there is a, if you believe that there's a hindrance in healing, then there's an, a, hind, a hindrance in healing. Who said that? Curry Blake. Curry Blake, ladies and gentlemen. If you believe that there's something that's stopping healing, then there's something stopping healing. So if you think there's something between where you are and where God wants you to be, then you'll never be able to see God smiling on where you are. So remove the wall, feel God smile over you, and rise up. Carry out who you are, where you are, and he'll take you. Okay? So we've torn down a couple walls. I like it. We call them religious cows around here, and that's fun. <laughs> sacred cows, you know, tipping. I like tipping sacred cows. Um, all right. Third thing. Let's take the roof off of this thing, all right? Let's go back to Titus chapter 2, verse 12, all right? It's kind of an Oreo sermon. We, we went to the beginning and the end. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Mmm, double stuff. Double anointing. Ooh, glory. <laughs> All right. Titus chapter 2, verse 12. So we talked about instructing. Grace instructs us, right, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. So, there's all kinds of things that we're, we're tearing up today, so it's fun. Ungodliness, all right? Let's take away, again, the religiousness that says... You know, ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Take away our predefined things and our thoughts on it, and all you get when you get away from the fluff and everything in the Greek is no worship. 
no worship. And worship, we know, is a lifestyle. We know it's a heart condition that opens us up to God at all times. It says, my, my heart is always open to you, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at church, whether I'm you know, with my family, whether I'm at dinner, whether I'm here, there, anywhere. My heart is open to you, God. That is godliness. So ungodliness is just having your heart closed wherever you are. It's not this like evil thing. It's just people that have closed their hearts. Doesn't that make it easier to minister? It's like, oh, this person is ungodly. I have to pray before I go out to them. No, you just open their heart up. Open their heart up. Let God come in. It's easy. It's, it's simple. It's Holy Spirit. Come. Make Jesus plain to us. Okay. So ungodliness. We deny that. So Paul is saying, always have your heart open to God. Always have your heart open. Don't close it up. And we need to deny worldly desires. This is where it gets good. If it hasn't been good before, it's getting good, so don't worry. Worldly, belonging to the world or the system of the world. Pretty easy there. Now, desires, I love this when I found this. I love this word because just like in English, the word, like if we were to say, I have a desire, it comes from a verb, right? To desire. The same thing in Greek. So, a desire comes from a verb to desire. But then what's interesting is that, that verb to desire comes from another noun, which is a tempest, a wind stirring inside. And so a desire is actually a stirring that's inside of us that wants out. Okay? So, Let's put these things together. A worldly desire, a worldly, something that belongs to this world, and a desire that stirs us, okay, is simply a desire that is anchored in the system of the world. And again, just like um, how Paul was saying, it's not the deed that I'm talking about that's bad. It's the fact that you forget who you are when you do it. That's what I'm saying. So the lawless part, don't, don't get a lawless deed. Okay? Get distracted. Tony thing. So, in the same way, he's saying, don't worry about the, what am I saying? Don't worry about the desire. Don't worry about the stirring. Worry about it being anchored in the system of the world. Because what you're doing is you're actually like an anchor, okay? When I say that, when I say something being anchored in the system of the world, what does the anchor do? It keeps a ship from exiting a certain area, right? It, it confines it to a certain area. I think there's a couple of people that are getting where I'm going. So when we have a desire that is anchored in the system of the world, the fulfillment of that desire is actually confined to a certain area. It's handing God a ruler and say, could you please measure out the fulfillment of this thing by this? Instead of letting the anchor come up and letting our desires actually be measured by heaven's ruler. And so it's disappointing. Again, Paul isn't saying to deny the stirring of the desire. 
He's saying tap into grace. So you're freed from the expectation that this is the certain area that it needs to be and get freed from the religious spirit, right? And invite heaven into your stirring. Invite heaven into your stirring. It's good. I'm not saying don't have a plan. It's good to have a plan, all right? But don't let your plan be defined in its fulfillment by this system. Okay? Uh, I want to give you an example of this. Genesis 15, 1 through 6, all right? I'm going to read it so you don't have to turn there. Just uh, You can put that in your notes. So, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. He was Abram at that time. Sorry. Uh, I am your shield, your great reward. I am your one expectation. But Abraham said, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar, I think, of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He just anchored something in the system that he knew. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Check this out, okay? He took him outside his tent, okay, and said, Look up at the sky and the stars and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And check this out. Abraham believed the Lord, so he credited it to him as righteousness. So in closing here, God said, I am your reward. I am your expectation. Okay? And he gives him this promise and allows the desire of Abraham to be stirred up. But the problem is Abraham anchored that promise, anchored that desire in the system of what he knew. And so it was hard for him to understand the fulfillment because he anchored it. And so he's like, God, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. So what does God do? He says, I'm not offended by your anchor. He's not offended by our unbelief. Okay? I don't, I don't like when people say, your doubt is terrible. Like, they, they, they just condemned doubt. And it's like God is unintimidated by doubt. All he has to do is take us outside of the tent. If you refuse to step outside the tent, that's the problem. And that's that closed-heartedness. That's the, that's the ungodliness. Your heart's not open, okay? So if you open up your heart, let God take you outside the tent of what you understand and what you've anchored your desire or promise in. Look at the stars. Look at heaven's measurement of the fulfillment of the promise that God has given you, and your eyes will be open. And then you can believe. Abraham didn't believe until he saw the stars. So again, step outside the tent. Look at heaven's measurement and see how the stirring of your heart can actually look in heaven's eyes. Wow. Wow. And so, what have we done today? Okay. We've found and reinforced our floor with grace. Okay, with the real definition of what we've received and what we continue to receive from the stu- substance of Jesus that flows out of him at every part of his experience, every part of the gospel. Okay, We've also taken the walls down and the expectations and allowed God to reveal himself to us, our hearts to open up to him 
and the reality of the endless possibilities that stand before us as sons and daughters. And we say no to the lie of the, the, the religious spirit, okay, that separates us from our destiny. And now we have to step outside that tent, take the roof off, and see what heaven says about our desires. See what heaven says about those stirrings inside of us and the promises that he's placed over us. And believe him. Believe him. Just behold. I mean, I can't imagine how Abram was like, And he was able to believe because of the awe that was in his heart. Step outside the tent. Allow yourself to be at awe with the fulfillment of your desire. And believe. Let that be, let that be the anchor. If we can get some music rolling real quick. God, we open our hearts to you, Jesus. Just open up your heart right now. Jesus, we open our hearts to you, God. Mm. We thank you. We thank you for the wind that's blowing in this place. <laughs> our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've healed our minds, God. You've healed our minds. Give us this day our daily bread. And we repent from small thinking. Jesus, we repent from small thinking. Your dreams are bigger. We, we ascribe to faith. That faith is actually believing that you want what we want more than we want what we want. That's your heart for us. That's your heart over us. So we receive your grace. We have faith in what we're standing on, God. We tear down the separations, God. There's no walls. There are no walls. We look up and we remove the ceiling to see the stars, to see heaven revealed in front of us. And allow, God, we invite heaven to come and stir us, stir with us. Stir with us, God. Mm, Jesus. If you need a stirring, if you need heaven to be invited to, in, into your dreams, into your desires, and into the promises, take your hand and put it over your heart and invite heaven to come. Heaven, come! Stir us, God. Come. Join us in our desires, Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Sure. Yes. Greater stirring. Greater stirring. We receive your wind, God. The tempest that you call our desires, Jesus. <laughs> I'm at the eye of your storms, the eye of the wind of the desire. I'm there. 
Yes, God. More, more, more. Yes, God. Jesus. More. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Cool. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It is an honor. We're going to have our prayer teams come up, okay? Just come. If, you, if you're in need, if you, if you have renewed your mind today, come. Come and just let grace pour on you to equip you to go out and to do what you're called to do. Yes to destiny. You're free to go. We love you.